Go ahead and turn to First John. We've been slowly marching through this letter. We've gotten down to chapter 2 and verse 18. And I'm going to read through the end of this chapter, um, about 10 or 11 verses. Try to stay with me, um, but this is all one thought, and so it's worth picking up at one go. He's just finished admonishing them not to love the things of the world, and we spent a good deal of time last week looking at that, at that and different idols that we put in our life. Um, so not to love the world and the things in it, right? Because the world's going to pass away and all the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Verse 18, Little children, it is the last time, and as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now there are many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would, no doubt, have continued with us. But they went out, that they might be made manifest, that they were not all of us. But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. I have not written unto you, because ye know not the truth, but because ye know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist, that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. Let that therefore abide in you, which ye have heard from the beginning. If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye also shall continue in the Father, in the Son, and in the Father. And this is the promise that he hath promised us, even eternal life. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you. And ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence, and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If ye know that he is righteous, ye know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. I know that's a longer passage and there's a lot going on and we could have stopped a dozen times for explanation, but I wanted to read it once through. We probably will not get all the way through that today. But this is all, all one thought. Little children, it is the last time. Actually, let's start at 26. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. We've had other reasons given for this letter being written, right? One, I write these things unto you that you may have fellowship with us, right? Things you need to know to have better fellowship with us and our fellowships with the Father and the Son. Writing these things that your joy may be full. Writing these things that ye sin not, all right? So these are truths that you need to know that if you're sinning not, your joy may be more full and you'll have a greater fellowship. Well, there's also a fourth reason here. He's writing you concerning them 
that seduce you. All right, so there is a problem going on already. This is a long time ago, right? Yes, yes. All right, Apostle John is writing here. Um, he's obviously still alive. He interacted with Jesus in person. He hasn't died yet. But the church has already got adversaries coming from within. Okay, There are those who are trying to seduce them into a different path. Um, so that's what he's writing about. This is the reason for writing, concerning them that seduce you. To seduce means to, to tempt you to go a different way. There is never a positive connotation with the word seduction. All right? It's not. That's leading you astray. Now, if you go to Acts chapter 20, the Apostle Paul, on his last visit to the church at Ephesus, before he's going to go to Jerusalem, um, in which he is probably never going to go to Ephesus again, he's gathered them together, and he's telling them goodbye. And one of the last things he says to them, and this is Acts chapter 20, and 28, because when he goes to Jerusalem, he's going to be arrested. And he's going to be you know, in Jerusalem and in Caesarea for a long time. And he's going to go to Rome. He's going to be there for a long time. And so all he knew, the Spirit was telling him that when he goes, he's probably not going to see them again, and he's going to go in chains. Um, and so his last message to them, Acts chapter 20, verse 28, says, Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves. Who's he talking to? the preachers at the city of Ephesus, the elders. Take heed unto yourselves and all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. That doesn't sound real good, right? Grievous wolves coming in and tearing up the flock. But listen to verse 30. Also, so those are dangerous from without. Also, of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, watch. All right? There is a danger of those from within the church changing the truth into a lie to gather men to follow them. That's one of the last things he warned him about. Says he's going away. What's, you know, what's your final parting message is, is take heed. Watch. Beware of your own selves. You've got dangers without and dangers within. And so this is part of what John here is reacting to, that there are those who had used to be a part of them who have now left and are trying to teach something different and, follow, and trying to gain followers okay that's our context for what we're about to be looking at so if you go to starting at verse 18 little children it is the last time is there a question mark in that well, that's a statement of fact agree it is the last time that word time uh, the Greek words literally means hour so literally it could be an hour but it's also used figuratively for a season, a period. We're in the last time, the last season. Well, if you think about the history of the world, you could break it up into times or seasons. You've got before creation, right? Pre-creation. There's some things that went on there, right? Where the Father gave a people to His Son. 
right? And the son agreed in this covenant of grace that he was going to redeem them, right? That all occurred. He predestinated you to be with him before the world even began, right? That's Ephesians 1, 4, 5. You're very familiar with that. And then you've got creation. Everything is perfect for a time. And then you have the fall. Sin enters the world. There's death. And from that point on, you're in the age, you're in the season where they're waiting for the Messiah. The need had been revealed. God already knew that there was going to be a need. The need had been revealed. It was sin. And you needed a Savior. And then Christ comes. He lives perfect, sinless life. He bought His people with His blood. He paid the ransom debt for them. And He's ascended back and He's promised that He's coming back. We're in that stage, that last season. If he's coming back, there's nothing else to be accomplished in the work of salvation other than him to return. That will wrap this thing up. And that will be the end of creation as we know it. Right? Be a new heaven, a new earth, where there's no sin, no unrighteousness, only perfection and righteousness will abide with God for forever. Okay? That's the age that we're in. It's been going on for 2,000 years now. So folks get upset and say, Oh, it's starting to be the last days. Well, it's been the last days for about 2,000 years. Be ye not distressed. We know who wins. Okay? He comes and He gathers back His people with a bodily resurrection and they will be with Him for forever. Amen? Now wait, this is good news. Alright? So, He says, It is the last time. How do we know? Question mark. How do we know that it's the last time? John tells us the answer. Hereby we know that it is the last time because even now there are many anti-Christs. Okay? We know it's the last time because there is currently, and this again, this has been going on for 2,000 years, many anti-Christs. All right, so what is an anti-Christ? Well, the word anti, you know, hear that used all the time. That's what it comes from. The Greek word means Opposite, opponent, adversary. Okay? Christ. Opponents of Christ. Now, before in the previous age, while they are waiting for the Messiah, were there antichrists? No, he hadn't come yet. They were false Christ. I heard the word pseudo, pseudopod by combology, false foot, right? There were pseudo Christ, ones who came to be Christ, and there had been some. Previously, before Christ had come, like just recently, because the Sanhedrin are all like, you know, if this is of men, it's going to come to nothing, right? Remember old Bubba Gump here? He had so many people follow him, and then he died, and what happened to him? It all scattered. But if this is of God, it'll endure, right? That was Gamaliel, who's, I believe, the one who was Paul's mentor, right? So there have been false Christs in the previous age, but there hadn't been. Antichrist, because the real Christ had not been revealed yet. And so we're in that last stage. We're in that last stage of there. Christ is only coming back. All right? That and it's all wrapped up. All right? In the meantime, you've got these Antichrists, opponents of Christ. Um, and in John's day, there were already many. All right? Now, the world hates Christ. Agreed? Right? This isn't talking about the world. Right? In that sense, the world is always Antichrist. 
This is talking about antichrists from within the church. Okay? And that's what it says here in verse 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us, but they went out that they might make manifest that they might that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. So you had some who had been among the church. They had professed at one point, yes, Jesus is the Christ, and now they've left, and they're trying to teach something different. They're trying to, one, on one hand, they could be saying that Jesus is not the Christ. Right? That's, that's one claim. They're attempting to seduce, distort, um, corrupt the gospel. Okay? So, what are the methods that they're trying to seduce? Well, one there in verse 22 says that Jesus is not the Christ. Okay? That's the claim. So you had people who had been in the church, and now they're saying, no, he's not. He's not the Christ. He's not the Messiah. He's not the one. We look for another. Okay? Now, before you get distressed, this concept is not merely talking about a believer who has doubts. Okay? You want an example of a believer who had doubts? John the Baptist. He sees Jesus and he says, Behold! the Lamb of God. He baptizes him. He sees the Holy Spirit descend in the form of a dove. He says, that's the sign that the Father gave me. This on John in the beginning, right? This is the one. The one who's, who's I'm not worthy to unlatch his shoes, right? He knew, right? He believed. Yet he goes to jail. And he's been in there a while. And there hasn't been a massive revolution where everything's been overthrown. I, I, I don't know exactly what he was looking for. <coughs> probably looking to get out of jail, but either way, he winds up sending disciples unto Jesus, and they said, our master has a question. Are you the one? Or do we look for another? Okay. John had some, some doubt, some concern. He needed some reassurance. That's not this. This would be like me being up here as a preacher of the gospel, and then converting and going becoming a Muslim. Right? Someone who completely and utterly rejects that Jesus Christ is the Lord. We are not talking just mere wonderment and doubt of a, of a child of God. We're talking about just a complete and total rejection of Christ. And now actively teaching against it. Okay, That's, that's our context here. One who had professed that Jesus is the Christ, and now they're saying, no, He's not. we got to look for another. And, and you... You as a Christian, you're wrong. Come follow me. I'll show you the right way. I, you just listen to me and I'll teach you. Right? That's, that's, that's the concept here. You know? What would be the modern equivalent? Jews. The modern equivalent of Jews is that we're looking for another Christ. Jesus wasn't it. Okay? That's where we're at. That's that. Who holds that position today is that Jesus, whatever they think about him, that he was not the Christ. They're looking for another. Okay, if you read in chapter four of the same letter, 
verses 1 through 6 says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirit, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets are gone into the world. Prophet is one who claims to speak for God. He says, There's many liars out there, many false ones. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus is come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus is come in the flesh is not of God. For this is the Spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is in the world. All right? Try the spirits. Well, you go back. He that um, whoso whoso is a liar, but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ. All right. Well, that's kind of a threshold question, right? If somebody comes to you and says, "I want to teach you this thing," and yet they don't believe Jesus is the Christ, I don't need to go any further. I'm not concerned with whatever it is that you need to teach because you've already established yourself to be a liar. Okay. So that's claim number one. Jesus isn't Christ. That John is specifically concerned with what I just read, getting a little ahead of myself there, was claim number two. What did they say in, in chapter four there? Hereby you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. All right? So you have a very baseline question. There was a problem at this time with those who believed that Jesus was not an actual person, human being, they thought people saw him like a phantom or a spirit or something, but he wasn't flesh and blood. Um, the theological term for this group of folks is docetism, and the Latin behind that means seems. He only seemed to be real. All right? as opposed to being a real man, that he wasn't really flesh and blood, which is what John is exact opposite. He said, if someone comes to you and claims to be a prophet, claiming to have the Holy Spirit, and yet they're saying Jesus wasn't really a man, they're a liar! God's not, that God did not send that person. Right? If they say that he is a man, you can keep listening and keep testing and you know examining what they have. But if they don't get that basic level, you can chunk that out the window. Because what, is that, what does that mean that if he wasn't really a man, what does that happen to his suffering? It means his suffering wasn't real. Right? Spirit can't feel pain. It can't endure wrath. Right? It would not have been a true sacrifice. Now, you want to hear from Jesus' own words? Um, go to Luke chapter 24. Because after his resurrection, he appeared and his, pe- his disciples, you know what they were afraid they were seeing? The Spirit. Luke 24 and in verse 36. Um, As they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said, Peace be unto you. They were terrified and affrighted. Not just terrified, but affrighted. Like this is this is majorly distressing. And supposed that they had seen a spirit. Did it say that they had seen a spirit? They thought they had. And he said unto them, Jesus said, Why are you troubled? And why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones, as ye see me have. 
And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. He had a physical body, both before and after the resurrection. And while they yet believed not for joy. I mean, they're, they're dumbfounded, happy, but they still didn't believe. It's like they, they couldn't click. And they wondered. He said unto them, Have you any meat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and a honeycomb. And he took it and did eat before them. So he's got multiple evidences here. Here, look, I am here. I'm here in body. Right? I'm not, not just some spirit. All right, let's go back to First John. So he's concerned with both of these claims of people coming and teaching some other gospel, some distortion, some caricature, some corruption. One being that he didn't come in the flesh, or another that he wasn't wasn't really human. Now, I don't know of a modern equivalent um, for the claim that Jesus wasn't really human. I mean, as far as historical facts, the fact that Jesus was a man and existed, that's the most well-documented thing in existence. More has been written about him, not just talking about religious people, but from contemporary sources just... If you want to prove my existence a million years from now, good luck. But Christ, Jesus, as a man, like no one disputes that today, which is kind of funny, right? Because that was a problem back then. But they flip it on their head and say, well, okay, but he's just a man, right? Not God, just a man. That's, that's the real claim that you and I have to be concerned about today because that's what most folks will hold. Okay? My purpose in going through what I'm about to go through is not to bash other people, but to dispel the notion that we all pretty much believe the same thing. Okay? Jehovah's Witnesses, they deny the divinity of Christ. They say He's not God. He is only a human. They deny that he was resurrected bodily. They think it was just a spiritual resurrection, that his body did not come back. They do not believe that Jesus is eternal. He was created by God. And oh yeah, they think the second coming has already happened, that it was a spiritual event that occurred in 1914. This is not the same gospel. This is not the same Jesus. Now, you want to have someone into your house and talk to them, and if you're trying to teach them, okay, I'm not going to argue with that. But this is a threshold question of this is not someone you need to be taught by. This is not Jesus Christ, the King, the eternal God, the one who came and died and rose again in body, and sits and reigns on high, and who is coming back in a bodily form with a resurrection that won't be missed by anybody. Okay? The Muslim faith. Now, unlike some teachers and seminaries, Muslims will actually acknowledge the virgin birth be amazed at the number of teachers in modern U.S. seminaries who don't hold to that. However, they deny that Jesus is God. 
I think he's a prophet. Mm, about fourth tier prophet. Definitely below Muhammad. All right? He does not hold a preeminent position. They also deny that he died on the cross. They believe that he was on the cross, but they think it's more like Enoch, that he didn't actually die and that God rescued him. So, if you have one who is not God, who did not die on the cross, are we talking about the same thing at all? No. Those are both examples of what we call monotheism. Mono means singular, one, one God. Among Americans, you will have a greater example of non-theism. No God, or where God's not relevant. Buddhism. In Buddhism, the existence of a creator is not relevant to your spiritual journey. It's all about seeking enlightenment. This is where your concept of karma comes in. You do good works, and then um, through your multiple reincarnations, you can have a better or worse life depending on how you live. In this form, it's most similar to modern New Ageism, or just using, I'm not religious, I'm just spiritual. Right? It's all a focus on self. And in this concept, Jesus isn't relevant at all. Christ isn't relevant. There's no need of a Savior. It's just self. So that's a complete lack of emphasis on a God at all. You go to the other side, you have Hinduism, which is polytheism. Polygons, geometry, multi-sided. means they've got a multitude of gods. And in that concept, they acknowledge Jesus as being a god, but among a whole pantheon of them. This is no different than Greek mythology when you've got a whole litany of different gods or Roman mythology. Right? This polytheism. And there's 1.2 billion people on the planet who are Hindu. This is not a small group by any stretch. And so while they acknowledge Jesus, it's just a lesser god. Under the polytheism camp, I would also put Mormons. If you talk to a Mormon, they would say, yeah, we believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And they use that expression, but they don't believe in the Trinity. They believe that there are three separate beings. And this is not research that I'm... I mean, this, I've, I've gone to these individual sites to get what, what they claim about themselves. Um, they believe Jesus was created by God the Father when he had relations with a heavenly mother. And he had a brother named Lucifer. They also believe that God the Father is once a man. And that through a system of good works, he has achieved the status of Godheadism. And he has his own universe to play with. And if you will just check the right boxes, then you can become a God yourself. Putting it in these terms, these sound radically different than what we believe, right? But often, the lines try to get blurred 
And people try to say, well, we're really, it's really the same thing. It's really close. It's really, these are basic threshold questions, right? What's a feature that's consistent with all of these religions? Good works earn good stuff. That's kind of the uniform thing. That if you work, now the goals vary, the standards vary, what you do or don't do vary among them, but the end result is that if you do it, you earn something. Okay. How about the Vikings, right? Pagans, right? You want to go to Valhalla? Got to die well in battle. Karma, you want to be reincarnated as something nice? Have a lot of good karma. Do a lot of good stuff. You do bad stuff, you turn out as a monkey or something. I don't know. Right? Follow the rules of Mormonism. You can become your own god. Have your own universe. I'm not advocating for any of this. I'm just saying this is the, the standards they let out. Right? So here's the kicker. Within the Christian faith, I would say that Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses are the most dangerous because they claim to be Christian. They're not. Okay. The others at least don't, don't make that appearance. But those two at least try to fit into what John is worried about, of this seduction from within. Those that have gone, and yet they're still taking the name of Christ in some form. Okay. Now this theme of good works to earn good stuff, this is what separates us as primitive Baptists from pretty much every other denomination or form of Christianity. That to some degree, every other group requires some form of your working action for salvation. As a component of it. Um, regardless of whether they try and package it in some different forms. Um, you go to a Catholic website, say in order to be saved, you must be baptized, have faith and repentance. And sometimes they'll say other things about you got to take uh, the Eucharist and communion and all these other boxes that you have to check. And oh yeah, there's an asterisk that says outside of the Catholic Church, there is no salvation. That's, um, how about other groups that uh, use the expression by faith alone and grace alone? You've got two different words, and yet you're both trying to say alone to them. In that concept, that faith, which is often defined as saving knowledge, that's the act of a person. And that if you don't have that act, you can't be saved. Okay? Folks don't like you to accuse them of being works-based. Right? They read enough of Scripture to know that that's not what it says, but yet they still build it in. That if you don't do this, if you don't get baptized to the right church, if you don't say the right prayer, if you don't do something then Christ's work isn't a 
effective. And so how are we different from all that? Is that when it says, by Jesus' grace alone, we actually mean that. You contribute nothing positive to your salvation. <clears throat> you contribute a whole lot of negative. That's your sins. Right? The need for the Savior. Yeah, we're all over that. But as far as the motivation, the act, the completion, that's all of God. His decision, His plan, His execution, and He's the one who fulfills it. And that's what makes us different. Okay? Salvation is from Christ and Him alone. When you're born again, you're given faith. And so that's part of the confusion that folks have. Is, well, if you have, safe, have faith, then you will be saved. If you have faith, you are saved. It is a symptom of that salvation, not the cause. Okay? So, why are we apart from other groups? Because they're teaching a different gospel. They take some of Christ's glory for a work that He did 100% on Himself, and they're trying to put a little piece, or a big piece, onto men. And that just ain't so. Okay? So these men went out from them in 1 John. They went out from them because they were not of them. For if they had been of them, they would have no doubt continued with us. But that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. So they, their, their departure had been a revealing, right? That it was the last time and these men were not among them. I want to look at this concept of last times a little bit further and go over to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3. got John who's told us that we know that it's the last time because they're the presence of Antichrist. Those who are opponents of Christ. Adversaries of Christ. And here Paul writing to Timothy gives him some warnings of a description of what those within the church would look like. And that's significant because the descriptions we're going to read, these are always true of the world. Right? The carnal mind that's an enmity with God. But the danger here is the corruption from within. Second Timothy chapter three, verse one. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Perilous dangers. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. Self-idolatry. Covetous. Loving stuff. Boasters. I'm going to tell you how good I am. Proud. I know how good I am. 
Blasphemers. To blaspheme means to, to vilify. Whether that's vilifying God or slandering others, be both. Disobedient to parents. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Yeah. So here you have some who claim to be in the church, and yet they are disobedient, not honoring their parents, right? Unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, not even caring for your own natural kin. Truce breakers. You've made, made a statement, now you're lying about it. False accusers, that is to slander somebody. That word there in the Greek is diablos. Remember the word diablo? It's named for Satan. You'll be a false accuser. You are taking on the name and actions of Satan. Incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good. That incontinent means lack of self-control. Fierce or savage. Despisers of those that are good, or, dis, or hatred of virtue. Traitors, a betrayer. Heady, that means falling headlong. High-minded, got your head inflated, right, enveloped with smoke. Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such, turn away. What we have just read is Christian in name only in America. And I'm sure it occurs in other countries. I'm just not as familiar with them. But this is Christ as a social club, as a banner. But I don't really want to follow him. I just kind of want the stuff. This is a danger in the perilous times where you have gotten an appearance, the form of godliness. means the appearance of godliness. I am acting like you can think I'm a Christian. But yet in all these areas, it doesn't show up in my life. He says, those... Who's Christian in name only? If it's just superficial, if you know, the only thing about Christ is you've got a little sticker, hello, I am, and I'm a Christian, but there's nothing else about your life that would give evidence to that. He says, turn away from those. That's that's dangerous. Right. I'm sure y'all heard that expression, you know, if, if it became illegal to be a Christian, would they have enough evidence to convict you? Hmm. From such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. So you have a description of these seducers, these false teachers who are going to say, yeah, you can be a follower of Christ, and yeah, you can have the world too. Look at me, I've got it. Come on. And they're going into homes and leading astray. Different people here. You've got silly women, but a man who's led away is just as silly, just as foolish. Following the, the diverse lusts and things that you already naturally want to do and having these teachers who will teach you, yeah, you can have that. It's fine. 
jump on. Well, we'll just read. Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. All right, so these are those who, you know, um, Titus, when he was told he'd had to ordain elders in every city, part of the reason was because he was going to have to argue and convince the gainsayers and disputers. For there are many vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcisions, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake, in which they're overturning whole houses. So that's part of your job as a preacher is to stand up and call a lie a lie. And so here, their role is that they are like these two uh, magicians in Pharaoh's day that were standing against Moses and trying to say that their lies were the truth. But they're corrupt. Reprobate minds. Reprobate concerning the faith means rejected. But they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be made manifest unto all men as theirs was. Which means in the end, the seducers don't win. It's going to be made plain. But thou hast fully known my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, my faith, my long-suffering, my charity, my patience, persecutions and afflictions. Right? Paul has reminded Timothy, you've seen me live it out. The exact opposite of these men. You've seen me live it out at all, even through persecutions which came to me at Antioch and Iconium. Like Once he was stoned so bad, they thought he was dead. Not his friends thought he was dead. The guys stoning him thought he was dead. They thought, hey, mission accomplished. Let's go home. Right? That's how bad he was afflicted. What was he doing? What was his crime? He was teaching the truth. What persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord, out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, this is a verse no one wants to hear. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. That's yeah, part of the cost. That's part of the consequence. It's not having your cake and eat it too and everything will be right and reign with the world and the world will love you and you'll have the respect of men. Nope. All that will live godly in Christ Jesus. If you want to live worldly and claim Christ Jesus, yeah, you'll be accepted. You can have a big old church. But, verse 13, evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Seducing themselves. Evil men shall wax worse and worse. Evil men and seducers. Here's your, here's your description of the last days. This is what we've been operating under for 2,000 years. Why are there so many breaks and factures among all these different denominations? And changing things a little bit here, a little bit there. Hey, come be a follower of me. Why are so many of the denominations named for the men that started them? Right? Verse 14, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. So stand fast. Don't let it change. But that from a child thou hast holy, thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead, is appearing in His kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season. 
Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and authority, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn their ears, turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. I read all that so that you can know that from the context, this is again talking about corruption within the church. Okay? This is something that preachers have to be on guard on, something that you as a church member have to be on guard on, that you need to be stand fast in the faith. You need to know it. You need to not just hear it on Sunday morning, but you need to be in the Word. Grow in, sink down roots, be assured, line by line and precept upon precept, so that you're not deceived or swayed. Right? There can be a you know a radio preacher who for 55 out of 60 minutes says things that are really right. And generally they blow it all up in the last five minutes. But if you're not on guard, there may be other little nuggets throughout that first 55 that you weren't attuned to, that you allow to slip in and to taint or distort or deceive. We need to be on guard and um, guarding our hearts with the Word itself. We're doing it on time. Alright, let's go back to 1 John. Those last times. We're in the last times. There are antichrists. There are those who are opponents of Christ. Those who are trying to teach things that aren't the truth. And they have left and gone out. These deceivers. Verse 20 says, But ye... And who is this letter written to? To believers. Right? But ye have an unction from the Holy One. What's an unction? An anointing. You've been anointed by the Holy Spirit, with the Holy Spirit, right? And ye know all things. Now, can you read that literally? Do you now know all things now that you're born again? Are you now omniscient, omniscience, knowing all things? No. Right? But, you do know the truth of Jesus Christ. You were able to believe that Jesus is the Christ, that He is the Son of God. You were able to know these things in a way that's way deeper than your head because of the Holy Spirit. Right? That's a gift. That doesn't require a preacher. Right? You have an unction from the Holy One and you know all things. I have not written unto you because you know not the truth. He says, I didn't write to you because you're ignorant. But I wrote to you because you know it. And no lie is of the truth. Alright? No lies of the truth. Kind of one of those, yeah. Obviously, let's just put this in that category of a general rule. No lies of the truth. All right? If it's the truth, how many lies are in it? None. All right? Go back to chapter 1, verse 5. It says, uh, We're declaring God unto you that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. Would you classify a lie as darkness? Sure, I would. Is there anything about God that's going to lie? No, He is light. There's no darkness. All right. General rule. That's true. All right. So if that's obviously true that there is no lie that is of the truth, coming from the truth, right? So then, if one denies that Jesus is the Christ, are they being sent by God? No. No lies of the truth. He's a false teacher. He's not to be believed. That's what it says in verse 22. Who is a liar? but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ. So, if he's denying that Jesus is the Christ, he's lying. Right? He's not sent by God. This is a basic threshold question. We say, you know what a threshold is? 
right? That little thing you step over in the doorway, right? I don't have to get to all the other examinations because I don't even have to cross that door because you don't meet my first basic test. If you're saying that Jesus is not the Christ, I know I don't have to listen to you. You're wrong, right? You are not sent by God. There's many false prophets who have been sent out. Y'all, there is a distressing number of prophets operating today. Okay? You gonna chase a rabbit hole, you see the number of people who are spending time on YouTube listen, listening to prophets. All right? You want to know the success rate of a prophet sent by God? 100%. They don't get it wrong. God in the Old Testament gave the definition for a false prophet as one who says something and it doesn't come to pass. Now God's so good that when He sends something that's going to come to pass a long way off after that prophet's dead, you know what He'd do? He said, I'm going to give you a second sign that's going to happen like right now so you know that this one's going to happen even though you're not going to see it. Right? God didn't take chances. He established this one speaking for me. Now these prophets that are on YouTube today, one, we're in the last age and there's really no reason for them. We've now got the full revelation. What more can they add to it? Beyond that, they're often wrong! The prophet who has to issue an apology letter is not a prophet. Or the prophet who doubles down and says, well, I misspoke. You're speaking for God, you don't misspeak. Okay? Don't look for signs and visions and dreams and prophets. Here's what you can rely on. Here's the truth. Here's something that hasn't morphed or molded in the 2,000 some odd years since it's been completed. That's where you stand on don't go look for the newest, latest thing. If you're following something that has only been around 100 years or 200 years or 300 years, guess what? It wasn't around when Christ was here. So that means some man invented it. Some seducer. Someone who wanted to lead people away and follow after them. So, in Christianity, are you looking for the newest and latest and cutting edge thing? If you are, there's a problem. Right? There's a reason we sing about singing that old, old story. Because it don't change. Right? Men's pride and men's vanity will allow them to think that it's okay to change the truth into a lie and have people follow them. Is this hard truth? Yeah. Is it truth? Yeah. So, someone is coming to me and they are denying that Jesus is the Christ and including for me, to be the Christ, you must be qualified to be the Christ. You must be God. So if you're coming and saying that Jesus is not God, that He did not actually die on the cross, that He was not actually bodily resurrected, if there's not going to be a physical bodily resurrection, sir, I do not have to listen to you. We do not agree on the basic threshold tenets of what it means to be a follower of Jesus the Christ the Son of God, the Word, the second in the Trinity, the three in one, not three separate gods. Okay? Second John chapter... Well, there's only one, one chapter in Second John. So go to the letter. Second John, verses 7 through 11. Think this thing, theme mattered to the Apostle John? Second John, verse 7. For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Again, same problem. Those who are saying that He wasn't really here, it's just a spirit. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. 
Look to yourself that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. This is talking about not an eternal reward. This is talking about the benefits of the truth of the gospel. That if you allow the gospel to be changed and distorted, guess what? You're going to add chains of bondage around your neck. There's always going to be consequences for what you have to do or live under because you've changed the truth into a lie. Verse 9. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ, the doctrine that Christ is the man, is the God, hath not God. He doesn't have the Father. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. For he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. Will I ever have a Jehovah's Witness come out and give testimony to you? Not a chance. Often the churches at this time were in households. So you could think this in terms of protecting the church itself, but also in your, your individual <coughs> homes. Am I railing on them more than anyone else? Well, they, they go out and do the door-to-door knocking more than anyone else. If you're not abiding in these basic tenets, this is not someone that you need to have fellowship with. Okay? If you want to teach somebody and try and tell them the truth, go for it! Be on your guard because they're going to be trying to teach you too. Don't bring it into your house. And don't bid them Godspeed. To bid Godspeed implies that we're on the same page and I'm wishing you well in your endeavors. For someone who's going and teaching a false doctrine of Christ, I do not wish you well in your endeavors. I wish that you'd come see the truth and then you can go. But in the meantime, I'm not going to be a partaker with your evil deeds. Okay? So to have not the Son... Jesus is not the Christ, or that He didn't come in the flesh. You don't get the Father too, right? How many of them say, "Well, I've, I've, you know, got God the Father, Jesus, you can take Him or leave Him." Right? We want to talk about God and society and culture. Generally, folks don't argue with that. Right? Okay, you can make a general reference to God, but when you start using the name of Jesus, there tends to be a little bit more heckles that go up because He's He's exclusive. Right? And he is. He's a name that's higher than every other name, and at, at his name every knee should bow now, and at the end every knee will bow. Okay? Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. Right? And he that acknowledges the Son hath the Father also. One and the same. Package deal. You cannot somehow have access to the Father but by the Son. If you deny the Son, you're denying the Father in essence too. There's a magnitude to that. There's a severity to that. There's a seriousness to that. Jesus would say to Himself that I and my Father are one. That's in John chapter 10. The Gospel of John chapter 10. I'm just give you the context. Um, the Jews had come around him, verse 24, and they said, "You know, how long are you going to make us to doubt? If you be the Christ, tell us plainly. Like, we're tired of these proverbs, these parables. Just, just speak truth. Speak plain. Are you the Christ? He said, I told you, and you believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness to me. What works had he done? He'd healed the dead. He'd healed the lepers. He cured the blind. He did things that no man could do. And John said if they'd written down all of them, the books of the world couldn't contain it. I mean, that's just a super abundance of works. He says, you didn't believe them. They're what's made manifest that I'm coming in my Father's name. 
But ye believe not, because ye are not of my sheep. As I said unto you, it's another great example of election. His sheep hear his voice, these are not his sheep, and therefore they did not and cannot believe. My sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life. And they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. We're going to have a whole sermon right there. Next verse. I and my Father are one. I and my Father are one. You don't get the Father without Christ, with Jesus, the Lord. And the Jews knew exactly what he was saying because they picked up stones. They're ready to kill him then. He says, Many good works have I shown unto you from my Father. For which of these works do you stone me? And they said, kind of smart actually, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, because thou, being a man, makest thyself God. Some folks will try and tell you, Well, Jesus never claimed to be God. Those people clearly have never read much about him. The Jews then knew exactly what he was saying. He's one who thought it not Robert to be God. He is. He is God. He is the God man. He was fully God, fully man. Is that hard to wrap your head around? Yeah. Never happened before. <laughs> or will, right? But it's true. How are you able to believe that? Only by the grace of God giving you His presence of His Holy Spirit. Who gets the credit and all that? Him. He's the cause. And we live out the effects. Now, we talk about good works. Are they important for us as followers of Christ? Yeah, absolutely. Not because we're earning anything in heaven, but it's a reflection of what He's made us. When we're born again. We are created to be a new creature. That which had no spiritual life, no spiritual walk, you were dead. Like doornail dead, not just a little bit dead, dead. And now you've been made alive and created a new creature unto good works. That as He is His holy, who's called you to holy, He's instructed us to be holy. And so we glorify Him in His work in our obedience today. Right? Our obedience is the symptom of what He's done for us. It doesn't cause us. We didn't cause Him to love us, and we'll look at that later in 1 John. He loved us first. He commended His love to us when we were yet dead in sins and gross and vile. And yet because He has, and He has given us new life, then we should, in gratitude and humility and obedience, live our life in accordance to His Word. That we can be faithful to Him for thanks for all that He's done for us. I hope this is a blessing to you.